0: Randolph again and today I have a very special guest Terry Paulson uh, I've known Terry uh, through uh, emails and phone calls but we've never met in person before so today's my first time to meet him how are you today I'm doing
1: great I've enjoyed our preliminary conversation just a chance to get to know you a little bit as well
0: Glad to have you here. And and what we're going to be talking about today is celebration of America or celebrating America. And as you know, I, I usually like to ask people about themselves, their background and some things. And before we started today, I had visited with Terry and I learned some things that I think are going to be very uh, profound in, in our conversation today. Uh, as you know, we uh, we talk about things to give people hope and victory and, and the blessings, and I think he has a lot of good things to share with us today. Uh, we are going to talk about America, but... And speaking with Terry before we get started here, uh, he said to me, you know, there's there's a lot to bite off here. And so what we will likely do today is cover some uh, major topics or issues, but not get into too much detail because we don't have enough time. But I want to say that Terry has agreed to come on in the future and we will certainly have him back. And I, I just welcome you today and very happy that you're here. Terry, tell me a little bit about what you do today and your background and and, and some of the things that that, uh, take up your, your daily life.
1: Well, now I am predominantly a a professional speaker. So I speak to associations, uh, corporations, and groups on on a number of topics, uh, mostly in the area of uh, making change work. How do you lead and manage change? How do you handle that yourself? My most recent book has been a book called The Optimism Advantage. And uh, Wiley asked me to do that after they've seen some of my YouTube videos on the subject. And it, it talks about... Earned optimism. A lot of people have this idea that optimism goes up and down, but really it's a function of a track record of overcoming obstacles. And, and interestingly, that's kind of what America is about. It's about giving people freedom to go over obstacles, find their way, and be successful. And that's—it's been a natural part of my life—is—is is being optimistic and how I approach uh, problems and and handle them. And so, a chance to integrate, leveraging optimism, making change work—that's—that's mm-hmm. that's the focus that I spend most of my time doing.
0: And what's that, What's the the name of your business?
1: Paulson and Associates in Agoura Hills.
0: Okay, and then you—and do you have any other books that you've ever published or?
1: I have over ten books that okay. I The first one I did was "They Shoot Managers, Don't They?" That was my <laughs> title, and uh, I was presenting to uh, presenting on that topic. And I was working over my galley proofs, and I was at Denny's. And I was at Denny's because my wife is a dietitian. This is why mm-hmm. I travel. And uh, I was looking over my galley proofs, and the and the waitress came to me, and she said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, this is my first book, and I'm, I've, it's my last chance to change it." And she said, "Well, what's the title?" And I said, they shoot managers, don't they? And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, I love it. (laughs) Not more than 10 minutes later, her boss comes out and starts yelling at her in front of everybody. And we all looked away. It was uncomfortable. And then as soon as he left, she came back to my table she grabbed my book and she said is it a how to book <laughs> That's <laughs> and I very said, funny. not that kind. That so I have funny. a lot of books uh, all, all the way from uh, uh, I have a book called Favorite Family Lectures uh, what are the what are the kinds of lectures that we need to be giving our kids today to mm-hmm. uh, meditations for road, road warriors uh, an opportunity for me to share devotions for Christians to travel so there's just a variety of, of stuff
0: a lot of books Now you also write for uh, some newspapers is that correct
1: yes i i write uh, initially it's actually been 10 years i've been writing for the ventura county star and uh, i've enjoyed that immensely because i have to exercise my citizenship i have to think about what are issues that are worth sharing about that i have passion for and trying to do it in a way that you give a, a valid balance and that's what i mean i have pretty strong opinions and i state them but i don't want to demean the fact that we live in a country where one of the blessings we have is the opportunity to disagree and express our opinions and right. i think there's too much flame throwing going around across our differences and and that's what gets eyeballs onto television shows that's what gets people listening to radio but i don't think it brings us together as a country and i've had some of my best conversations uh, on email with people who've disagreed with me because i've learned something
0: you know uh, i'll just touch on that for a second you know I uh, I'm a lawyer by profession and I can see what happens when people get into disputes and I always feel that uh, as a nation it it's totally correct for people to voice opinions absolutely acceptable conduct for people to disagree Uh, I think that's what makes us a great country Um, but I also feel it's very important for us to stand united on various topics that relate to, for example, national defense, uh, protection of the family, protection of the person, uh, the right to go out and work and be able to retain the benefits of your work, whatever that might be. Uh, It could be money. It could be sports. It could be whatever. It could be ministry. Um, But this, that you're free to go out and be the best person you can be, and that the country helps you to do that. They provide an environment where people can excel if if that's whatever chosen path that they want to go on.
1: It's interesting that you say that, because I think there's a lot of concern right now about the freedoms that we have within our country, and people are taking at liberty defining rights that aren't really rights.
0: Well, well, what's interesting about America, and we're going to, you know, kind of where we're going right now, I think we should just delve in a little bit, but I definitely want to Turn back to your background because I want to hear about it. But you know, if you think about the United States, and I'm just going to do a little civics lesson here for those who are listening, you know, if you take a look at the history of the world. You take a look at the ancient civilizations that existed. You know, of course, there was uh, Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and the the, uh, Persians and uh, uh, various, the Chinese, you know, the the China uh, uh, civilizations. And you look at all of those civilizations. And one of the things that's interesting about America is that our Constitution embodies certain principles and concepts that no other society ever thought to put into the fabric of a constitutional document. And if you think about what the Constitution means, those who are listening, think about it this way. A Constitution is really a national contract. What it is, it's, it's where the people who form the country say, these are the principles we believe in. We are going to agree that this document will basically be the buttress of our civilization. We're going to state what we believe. Uh, should be cherished we 're going to state what we believe should be protected we 're going to state what we believe should be um, the basis for our future laws and philosophies going forward and once that constitution gets accepted then of course there 's a mechanism to amend it or change it or what have you but In our situation, you had 13 colonies and they came together and as the United States and their legislatures representing the people said, this is what we think. Uh, should be our basically set of rules for going forward. So when you just mentioned Terry, hey, there's some things going on that really don't um, uh, they're they're inconsistent, if you will. So for those that are getting who are listening, I want to get back to what Terry just said. Think about the Constitution as basically our it's it's kind of like if um, you go to a basketball game, there's rules and the referees enforce the rules. If you go to football, referees enforce the rules. You play volleyball referees enforce the rules. So these rules that we're talking about or concepts or principles are in our constitution and they real that constitution that document really is the genesis of everything else that follows in our society. And so when you think about the Supreme Court or the judges or what the justices do, what they're doing is they're the referees. They're the ones who are saying, okay, you challenge this, you say this, you say that, we have to decide whether it's within the rules, So, Terry, when you talked about people saying things, what, about certain rights, tell, tell me more about that.
1: Well, number one, I, I think it's important to understand the context of our founding fathers was they came from tyranny. They came from a time that they wanted to design a government where the rules were designed to protect individuals from the government. It wasn't to establish a government to create some entity. It was to create the rules that would allow people to remain free. And the real challenge is, it's kind of like anything you put up on a wall in your home. You might treasure that for a while. But then you walk by it. You don't read it. You don't think about it. And all of a sudden, it, it takes somebody reminding you, my gosh, you know, we've, we've strayed away from what it is to be free. Uh, We talk about property rights were a very, very big part of of what they were concerned about ensuring. Now we're in a place where people talk the right of having affordable housing, the right of having health care. Those are not rights. Because really, a right is designed so that every person has the same freedom, and it does not interfere with another person's ability to have the same right. Freedom of speech doesn't take away the freedom from another person. It just instills it for you, and you will not get in the way of the fact even people will abuse it on occasion. I have had times people have written me letters in response to my columns. I show it to my wife. Do you still love me after reading this? Right, (laughs) right. And you realize I defend that person's right to say it. Right. But when you start saying, I have a right to affordable housing, that means... There is no fairy godmother. There is no Santa Claus. That means they must take property from somebody else in the form of taxes and take that money and give it to somebody else. All of a sudden, your right to an affordable house means that you are taking away property from another. That Our founding fathers would be rolling in the graves. Yeah, they,
0: they would, you know, the thing is, uh, just again, to try to take some of these concepts and, and make them as simple as I can. <clears throat> Terry mentioned what the Constitution, you know, the framework behind that. If it, You know, at the time the uh, the Constitution was being drafted and the Declaration of Independence and all the beautiful documents that we have at our found, uh, foundation as a country, you need to keep in mind that what was happening was the the king of England was a dictator, basically. And what he was doing is saying to the colonies, you exist to provide me wealth. I'm going to take the fruits of your labors and I'm going to shift all that cash, goods, what have you, Back to England because I just want to have more and more. And what was happening was when the colonies, if you remember this, the the is, you know, no no taxation without representation, don't tread on me. Uh, you, some of you might have seen signs or flags where they had the snake and and it's all cut up and you know it says unite or die. The reason that was happening was, and again, very simple: the king wanted more money, and the colonies were were basically second class citizens, and. What what happened was when the Founding Fathers and a large part of, of the 13 colonies started to say, wait a minute, this has gone too far, what they what was happening is the, the King of England said, look, you have a home in the colonies, well, it's not really your home. If I want to station my soldiers in your home, I can do that. If I want to take away your weapons, I can do that. If I want you to feed my soldiers, you need to do that. If I want to take your goods, I can do that. And if if you don't worship the way I want you to, you can go to jail. So when you hear things like, and Terry and I are going to talk about this in a second, things like... the, uh, the freedom of religion, the freedom to bear arms, the freedom not to have to house soldiers in your home. And by the way, that isn't the constitution for those who are thinking, is it really in there? Yes, it is. It says you don't have to quarter soldiers in your home. Um, the whole idea of being able to have free speech, these concepts to us today sound like, okay, I've heard about it ever since I was in elementary school. Of course we know what it is. But at that time, People were fighting and dying, and the 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 Revolutionary War wasn't a one-year war. It was a seven- to eight-year war, and a lot of people died in that war, and, and really, if you know the whole history of that war, it was a miracle of God that the United States ever was able to be formed. I'll say just two things real quick, and then we'll go back to Terry. Uh, George Washington. George Washington used to lead the charge. In most of the battles, and people wrote letters about it where there would be bullets flying, muskets going off, cannons going off. People all around George Washington were dying. He never got hit with a bullet. He never got hit with sharp metal, nothing. And he was a big man. He was a big guy (laughs) on a horse riding around in the front. He easily could have been killed. He wasn't. And many people attribute that God watched over him to protect him through that entire war. And also, for those who may not know, George Washington died from pneumonia Uh, after the war. He was at his farm, and he went out one day just for a ride in the rain, got wet, and died. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, God kept him going as long as he needed to. And the other thing that's incredible about George Washington um, is the fact that when the war was over, his military officers wanted to make him a king or a pseudo king. And they really felt that the masses in the United States were not educated, uh, really didn't deserve to have property or wealth, didn't deserve to be educated, and that they had really fought and put up their own honor, their own money, their own everything. And they were like, why should we share this with the masses? And George Washington, um, and one of the um, late, uh, meetings with all of the officers and men before they disbanded the army, uh, they they brought this up, and he said we will have no more of that, and he purposely told them that uh, it was offensive to him, and that the ideals that they fought for would be betrayed if he would ever do that. And he set the tone. And so much of what he did, in my opinion, is what Christ does for us. Christ has the authority to demand whatever he wants, and yet he's a servant. Washington was the same way. He had the ability, if he'd wanted to, after the war, to be a tyrant, to be a dictator. And in fact, what's interesting, too, is the French and the English, when the war was over and they found out that Washington said, I don't want to be king, they thought he was stupid. There's a lot of writing at the time where uh, people in high circles in those other countries thought that he was a buffoon. Because they thought, why would you give up being a king when you could just take it right now? And he laid the sword down, and he became basically a private person and didn't have any designs on power well, or control. The, so I the, want to hear more from you, Terry, on this Well, I on think one stuff. of the
1: principal things is when he, after his first term as president, chose to step down. I mean, that was a pivotal moment because they wanted to be king then. They wanted exactly. to continue. And the realization, he had the fortitude, the, the inner grace, the understanding that the principles are more important than the person. And, and I, I think, yes, I think God was behind what was happening there. But it shows you the power of principles. When you really are grounded in what you do and you have a faith, you have, you have a belief, then you can weather the storms of a lot of things. And the interesting thing, and I think we've lost part of that as, as a country, they had to earn their independence. They had to earn their wealth. They had to earn their opportunities. When I, I speak all over the world. And um, when I was in Australia... And you had mentioned Australia earlier. I was speaking, and all of a sudden I was talking, and I got caught up in my own story. And I said, "And the American dream is something. And I went, oops, I'm in Australia. (laughs) And this guy raised his hand, and he said, don't ever apologize for the American dream because it is a dream that your country had that the rest of the world has wanted to have. And all of a sudden, I understood something. We talk, we treasure the fact that we have the gift of being able to make something happen, and it requires earning it. My dad was an amazing man, a man of deep faith. But he also was a guy who believed that you earn things. And so I had to work my way through college. I had, now, he helped with the initial part of my all the way through UCLA. I graduated from UCLA. But then I was going to graduate school. And I told Dad, well, I'm going to be going to graduate school. He pulled me aside, and he said, you know, I'm excited for you because you're making some choices about what you want to do. But And I told you I wanted you to get an education, But I never wanted you to get it carried away with this stuff. (laughs) He said, the rest of it's on you. Right. And at that moment... I realized I had to finish quickly. I had to work my tail off to get there. And you know what we've done? We've taken away self-reliance. We've taken away earned optimism. You see, optimism comes from a track record of overcoming obstacles. What we've done in today's world is we give eighth-place trophies to people who wouldn't really, haven't really deserved it. Instead of realizing in life sometimes there's only one person that gets to sail. The thing that I I think, well, Jesus would have wanted to take government and change it to give all these things If Jesus were in charge. Jesus didn't come to change Rome. He came to change individuals. He he says, I don't care about Rome. I care about you. And once I have a relationship with you, I'm in a place where I can be alongside you in your journey. And that's where government isn't the one who's supposed to care for people.
0: We are. Well, you know, we we should talk about that, too. You take a look at... uh... America, just historically. Uh, you, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, 20th century, where we are, 21st century. And, you know, irrespective of what your political party is uh, or may not be, um, one of the things that we're talking about right now, Terry and I, is this whole notion of okay, how do we conduct ourselves, right? Um, Do I get up in the morning and do I say, I don't want to take care of myself. I want somebody else to do that for me. Or do I get up and say, I am really excited because you know what? I have the whole world available to me. I can do whatever I want to do. If I want to go to the beach today and just drink a soda and hang out, I can do that. If I want to go to work today and try to make a lot of money in the stock market, I can do that. And so what the difficulty is and, 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 and with today, and I'm just going to jump on the bandwagon here for a second. I used this term unity earlier. We need to be united as a country to solve the pressing problems that we have. When, whomever it may be, starts sowing seeds of discontent, starts sowing the notion that there's a social divide, that doesn't bring unity. That brings discord. And discord ultimately brings chaos and what i feel is so important i want to hear a little bit more from you terry on this whole idea of what you know again we're celebrating america what i love about the united states of america is this i get to walk down the street and at least as of today i can breathe the air i can take in the sunshine i can sing if i want and I don't have to worry about somebody pulling up tomorrow, putting me in handcuffs and saying, I heard what you said to Terry Paulson on your podcast. I, I heard it on the Internet. And you know what? I didn't, like, I didn't like what you said. I may not be inciting a riot. I may not be saying anything negative. I might just be confessing the fact that I love people. But you know what? You're a threat. And I'm going to put you in jail over that. And that really is such a big issue here in the United States today because what I am concerned about, Terry, I want to hear a little bit more from you on this, where we're just talking about the idea of asset allocations or, or allocating wealth or opportunities, but I think there's also a, a, a very dangerous thing that's going on right now, which is this idea that if you don't agree with my point of view, you're a threat, you're a danger and once we go down that road... It's very easy for somebody to say, let's legislate against that type of speech because we happen to be in power right now. Let's make it against the law. And then when I want to suppress you because I don't like your views, I'm going to use that law to put you in jail. That, to me, is a much bigger threat to our society than almost anything else that's going on. Well,
1: the Founding Fathers felt the same way, and they believed democracy should never be used as a threat against the individuals. They wanted to protect the minority. They wanted to protect those individuals to be able to express themselves, to be able to have guns. I mean, all these things that we talk about today, they they believe that you needed the right to remain a strong individual in this world. Now, all I'm saying is our world has become far too sensitive, and I think psychologists, I'm being one of them, have hurt. We've had people so worried about hurting somebody's opinion. Well, let me say this to you. If you're a parent and you're doing your job, your son is not happy with you. (laughs) I had never disciplined my son. I never had a time where I I grounded him or did anything to him where he came back later on that evening and say, Dad, I thought about it. And what you did was a very powerful, wonderful thing. And I'd like you to disappoint (laughs) me again tomorrow and I'll come back and you'll help make me a man. I mean, if he did that, you'd send him to therapy. We live in a world where we are not. Comfortable dealing with difference. We're not comfortable. So we want to silence them. One of the strengths of America is we pass the GATE test. People want to come into this country. They don't want to go out, and they pass the public square test. You can say something on the public square and be against Reagan or Obama. I don't care who it is. You can express something that in some countries will get you killed. Absolutely. And as far as I'm concerned, I would celebrate the fact that if you said something against somebody that I voted for, that's all right, because this is America, and you have the right to do that. And that's what keeps us strong. Now, I also believe you talked about celebrating America I believe the training I had early, the, the, the disappointments, the struggles I had to go through, gave me the confidence to start my own company. When I came out of graduate school, I, I was already used to poverty, so I felt it was a good time to start my own company. I knew I couldn't go down. So I started the Assertion Training Institute in North Hollywood, California. I had done research in the area of assertiveness training. I had trained mothers of delinquent teenagers to be more assertive with their teens. And we had researched that whole area. We saw that we could improve their ability to communicate. We also studied its impact on their husbands because we figured the women would use it with them. It was actually more effective with the husbands than it was the teenagers, so we had to stop the research. But we had a number of people who were saying, we need to have a, a, a center in this. So I opened one. I did it with $100. I just got my business name. I started that thing. I worked part-time down in Orange County to take care of my survival needs. And I had one employee. Her name was Char Blackman, and Char came to me, and she said, after about six months, because we had not thought this through, we were the Assertion Trading Institute. The people who are most non-assertive are not assertive enough to call up. We had nobody calling. We were (laughs) were people (laughs) wandering around our parking lots trying to get enough courage to come in. So we started, I, I would go speaking to a rotary, or I'd go speaking to this other group, and all of a sudden, uh, my, my one employee came in. She said, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, certainly, you know. She said, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, well, this is assertiveness. Just be direct. And she said, I don't think you're going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough when your only employee doesn't believe in you. Right. So I said, well, what are you talking about? And she said, well, no one's coming here. And I know you got to have people come here or you can't pay me. So I just want to know what your plan is. And I was just out of graduate school. I didn't have really a plan for marketing or anything. And I just said, well, this is a referral business. You have to have a certain base. You have to go through this. And she said, you don't have a plan, do you? And I said, my gosh. I said, you've been thinking about this more than I have. What are you thinking? And she said, well, number one, you did a lousy interview. I have skills that you could use. I have journalism background. And uh, I saw you present at the chamber. You're a really good speaker. And we had more people call up the next day after you did that. So I went to the chamber. I got a list of 120 groups within a 20-mile radius. And I'm going to send around your name. i put together a one page of what I think you can speak on. And every time you do, I'll send out 17 press releases to all the people, all the throwaways and newspapers and stuff, and we'll see if we can get some coverage. And I looked at her, and I said, "Well, you didn't let me finish. That was going to be my plan. (laughs) And we started doing that. And all of a sudden, the thing took off, and then I had this guy come in, and he said, you know, we love what you did, but we'd love you to speak to my business. And I said, well, I I don't do that. You know, I'm a psychologist. People come to me. And he says, we'll pay you. And I went, I'm flexible. So I started speaking in 1975. And I ended up totally changing my life because we live in freedom. Right. You are not locked into a career. You're not locked. They they say that the average person today will have up to six careers in their lifetime because things change and you gotta be ready to go with that. And we live in a blessed country that allows you to do that. And every single day I get up in in the morning and I say, why would people complain that, that I've got to go to government to help me when there are all these open doors around if you have a skill and you use it. My son came to me at 16, and he said, are you going to buy me a car? He said, everybody gets a car. And I said, well, I don't think that's true. And if it were true, it'll be everybody minus one. You will be the only one right. without a car. You well, will you be Well, you really leader. helping him.
0: You are helping him. <laughs> oh,
1: God. and he just looked at me like, how could I possibly have you as a dad? And then he said, well, how am I going to get a car? And I just basically, I told him about America. I said, there are only four ways that are legal. Start your own company. This is America. 7% of Americans own their own company. It's small business what makes America great. And it will always be the principal hiring engine for our economy. And he said, I'm 16. I says, I hate to break this to you, but there's 16-year-olds that have started bands. There's 16-year-olds now who started companies online, and some of them are billionaires, for Pete's sake. Now, if you don't want to start your company... Invent something somebody else needs. Then they will sell it or use it. A band needs music, right? Music for the band. You you find a way to feed something somebody needs, bigger, better, faster, in a better quality way, and they will pay you for it. And if you're not good at that, maybe you're good at sales. You build relationships. You establish a need. You come across that with a product. And if, you have a, if they have a headache and you have the aspirin, you'll make money on the basis of what you bring to take care of their problem. And then finally, Sean, let me tell you, if none of these excite you, then I suggest you find the gift God's given you and find a way to get up every morning and know that you'll be used by God in a powerful way and that you enjoy coming to work. And finally, and I'm just telling you this because you haven't learned the lesson yet, no matter how much money you make, save some of it. So when you want to have a car, you don't come to your dad saying, you're going to buy one. a car. I'm not going to buy you one. He was disappointed. But that was a lesson he had to have. And he started saving money. And he came back to me. I will never forget it. Three months after that, and he said, I know how I'm going to get my car. I said, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to write a book. You've written a book. I can write a book. And I said, well, I felt like saying, you know, it would be nice if you'd start with a term paper. But I knew that was a downer, and I wanted him to get better so we would leave. So I told him. I said, what are you going to write? He said, favorite family lectures. And I said, What? He says, yeah, you've lectured me so many times and some of them are funny. And I don't think parents know what to say to their kids. So I'm going to interview all the kids at church and at school, get the best lectures, put them in a book. And parents are working too hard and they don't have time to lecture. So I'll just, whenever they send the kid to the room, they just give them the book and go read 42. And I said, that'll probably sell. And he then, we worked three years together and he interviewed a thousand teenagers and we, we ended up self-publishing a book called Secrets of Life, Every Teen Needs to Know, and he sold 10,000 copies of that book. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, and I, I, from that moment on, everything he went, every job he applied for, he would put author.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> what's interesting about what you said is really your conversation with your son mm-hmm. is a conversation our government needs to have with its people. Oh. There's no difference. There's it's exactly the same.
1: There is a, here's, here's the contrast between the optimism of Ronald Reagan and the optimism of, of President Obama. President Obama wants to reside optimism in government. In other words, you are not good enough. Government will help you to do the things. We can't find enough jobs, so we'll, we'll increase the minimum wage. We, we'll, we'll give you more things. We'll let unemployment last longer. Both Ronald Reagan and Obama came in under very difficult economic times. Let's let's address that. One went for a stimulus package. The other went to America and and said, believe in yourself. Ronald Reagan in the 1992 uh, Republican convention said this. I'll tell you my secret. I appeal to their best hopes, not their worst fears, to their confidence, not their doubts. People who talk about limiting some of the programs in Washington are often seen as non-caring. And I think it's important to define what we mean by caring. I believe a parent cares enough to disappoint you enough and make you earn money and earn your allowance and everything else so that by the time you are 21, you're independent enough to make it on your own. Caring comes in the form of believing that you can be successful, allowing you to to earn your stripes as you go through disappointments and, and challenges. But every single one of those makes you stronger and ready. The more government reinforces dependence and makes it less likely that they will launch out on their own. Reagan also said the success of the government is not on how many people receive benefits, but on how many no longer need it. We have we, we have gotten to the point where we have more and more people dependent upon government, fewer and fewer of them paying the bill for making that happen. And the danger is we get to the point where people will elect those leaders who will take more and more away from the property rights and the basic freedoms that we've had. And we're seeing some of that now. Now, most of us have been around long enough to realize America is not – it wasn't just the Constitution is living out the Constitution, and we've had more than 200 years of trying to make that happen. We are not a movie. We're a soap opera, <laughs> and the real challenge is, is understanding there'll be ebbs and flows in that. And every time we go too far to the left or too far to the right, there is a natural correction that causes the independence in the middle to start saying, wait a minute, we've gone too far, and it tends to move it back. That's been our blessing over the course of our history. And yet right now we're at a tipping point where we have to decide, will, will the advantages of being dependent challenge people never to go back to the freedoms that we've had? Are, 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 have we gotten too comfortable? And that is something that I, I think we owe to future generations. I look at my grandkids now, and I'm, I'm thinking, I believe there is more power in America when we are focused on individual strengths and community community happens at the local level. Where should charity occur? I believe charity should occur at the local level because you look somebody in the eyes, whether you 're talking about a church that that deals with homeless or or a person because you can tell when they 're phony you can you, you can see them eyeball to eyeball when they receive government. Moneys in a mail or or by a credit card they can get food for it's so easy to scam that you end up rewarding people for scamming as opposed to really serving those individuals you know i i i love the fact that that jesus model didn't come as a king and he could have and he came in a in a small country and working with people who were young, it, it, the last people you would choose to have on your critical board, we had disciples who were really not very educated, but he changed the world. And he did it one individual at a time. And, and when I think, I, I think the older you get, the more you realize that Faith is not something you do on Sundays. Faith is something you live every day, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden you realize I get to serve. when I, Whenever I'm in a mode of presenting where I'm worried about my performance, I'm not doing my job. I, you know, I, I say a prayer before, I, every time I speak, I say, you're here to serve, not just shine. Give them the best, your window to the world that will serve them. And then when you do that, you're living out your faith. And, and what what. What a gift that we've been given, both in terms of knowing we're part of a huge family of believers, but at the same time, we live in a country that allows us to exercise that. And when you look at our history, people don't realize the history of the Christian faith was so critical to the early revolution. I mean, you had Whitfield, you you had uh, Jonathan Edwards, the Great Awakening that occurred at that time. Because each of those states were separate religion. I mean, almost they had different faith in the Massachusetts colony and the Catholics over here and the Quakers over here. And what happened in the Great Awakening is all of a sudden you had people coming in who said that you're united. In Christ, When you go to heaven, you ain't going to see some Presbyterian or Foursquare or Catholic or anything else. There ain't no house for different groups. We're, we're all one. And that oneness at that time helped unify the entire 13 colonies of allowing them to realize we can stand together and make this happen. I love the stories of of, of Ben Franklin, who uh, was not known as being overly religious, but in many times during that time, he would call for prayer in the Constitutional Convention because nothing's working. We got to get God in this. <laughs> but Whitfield would come from England, you know, to do his preaching, and and Franklin was was told that he was coming, so he went to the first time he hadn't heard him preach, and he's a fire brimstone Christian preacher, and he's laying out this stuff, and when the when the offering plate came. Franklin put in two gold coins into this offering plate, and he left. Afterwards, he said, oh, my, he's known for frugality. He couldn't believe he put two gold coins in there. So he was really upset that he had put the two gold coins in it. Then when he came back the next time, you know what he decided to do? Not take any money when he went. Then he went, and he put his gold watch in the offering plate. (laughs) So he said he was impacted by this guy's ministry. But I think we forget when we we say things like, in God we trust— we are still within that, talking about the freedom to have any religion, any faith that you want. But faith was a cornerstone. For the morality of the individuals to be to be in a republic requires people who care enough about their fellow citizens and care about the, about the freedom of other people.
0: Well, the other thing people should know is John Adams, uh, I think he was the second president after Washington. And, of course, he was one of the great founders of the— the country as well he said that the constitution was written with the christian in mind that it would only work uh if you had a nation that 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 believed in um in christianity and that's what it was designed for um, and again what 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 is that about doesn't mean that that the country but if you think about what what Christianity talks about what Jesus talks about uh, love others, give to others, exercise charity, love others as you love yourself, love God uh, when you do something, do it the best you can um, all the things that we value as Americans, the idea that I can express uh, appreciation to others, I can help others, I can give to others. Um, we can bond together for, for the common good. We're going to protect each other, we're going to look out for each other, we're going to share uh, our passions for certain things. All of those things are, are fully within the the Christian uh, idea of how, how to live life, and I think America has truly tried to to, to embody that. You know, today again, uh, just we're going to finish up here in just a bit. But Terry, if I, if we were if you if we were going to talk and again, we're going to have you back. But when you think about the United States today, what would be the top three things that you um, love about the country? And then what would be some of the warning signs that you see that we need to be concerned about?
1: Well, I I think the the number one thing that I I love about this country is, in spite of the fact that we have had some concerns about our freedoms in certain areas. I wake up every day, and, and, and much as you said before, I know I have the option of doing anything I want. I can start a podcast and, and begin to make this whole thing happen, start serving people and having people listen and love it. Right. I, I know that I can travel and go anywhere I want in the world. I can express my opinions in a paper and, and, and have people who I know, 50% of the people out there probably disagree, and they're going to let me know it, and they're going to call me names, but I'm free. I, I'm not going to be beheaded for any of those things. So I still consider America tremendous a tremendous country of opportunity opportunity and freedom. And 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 really concerns me sometimes because I think well, that's the other concern. I believe the messages we get out of the newspapers, out of news, out of out of Washington is you can't be successful but we will help you. And and that is the biggest seductive temptation that is on the edge of ruining America because what it is basically saying is you're not good enough. And Jesus came to let you know you're a gift. I mean, you're you're a child of God, and you are wonderful. And America has allowed us to operationalize that in an environment of free enterprise so that we can do that. And, and if you're good at what you do, people are going to notice, and then they're going to hire you to do a different thing. And you're going to move up within this organization. I actually had a guy write me from Poland He, he read because our, our columns go all over the world. If somebody wants to find them, and he wrote me, he says, It's impossible for you to have the opportunity you talk about. And I said, no, it isn't. People can start and do anything. He said, well, I'm in Poland and I can't do those things. I said, well, you could do it right now. Just go to elance.com and you sign up. If you have a gift and you you put in a project proposal, you can literally make money and they will pay you through that for your independent work and you can start your own company from wherever you are in the world. You are living in a place now where America is a guiding light for for that kind of freedom. I, I also believe... I believe that uh, America has basically really good people. I, I, I think we are a service-oriented people. We give more charity. We don't expect the government to give all the charity in the world. We support our churches, synagogues, and, and those people in need, and and that needs to continue, and I'm just blessed by the fact that, that we have that. I also believe—I think it was Norman Schwarzkopf, who um, I followed on one presentation he was speaking, and he said this— And it just struck me. He said after the first Gulf War, he was meeting with Saudi generals and they were saying their goodbyes, okay, because the war was over and they were going back to the States. And one of the Saudi generals pulled him aside and he said, I need to talk to you. And so Schwarzkopf went over to, to just talk to him privately. And the Saudi general said to him, I want you to know that I thank my God every day that you are the only superpower left because you are the only one that would leave. Mm. When you think about America and what we have stood for in the world, we haven't gone where we would get benefit. We've partnered with Israel in dealing with very difficult situations. There's no oil in Israel. <laughs> we, we've, we've protected part of Korea. We've, we've done things because we believed it was right and i still believe that this is a country where god has challenged it to be a force in the world and and i and i think we need to do that now we need to do it with restraint we need to use diplomacy when we can but i i, I am i am proud to be part of a country that uh, that has the strength to be gentle and and i think i think uh, the world would have a very difficult time without america in it my concerns the trap of dependence, bigger government, smaller individual. And for once, it is both a a good thing and a a negative thing. I believe faith is starting to come under test and under fire. There are people who want us to be silenced. And that is in a way good because we've been far too comfortable in America for a long time. And sometimes one of the greatest things we can do is stand for our faith, be known for it, and know that in doing so, we don't rub it in anybody's face. We're called to be, uh, to be basically, be gentle in how we communicate that which we stand for. I often say to people, well, your faith is very judgmental. I, I, I'm not called to judge anybody. In fact, even if I didn't like you, it doesn't make any difference. God's the one you've got to deal with. Right. I'm in sales, not in management. Right. I mean, you know, when you get right down to it. <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, I'm walking around, and I'm, I want to be a person that lives my faith and at the same time takes a stand for it with a loving heart. And um, I think that's what we're challenged to do. listening to t
0: randolph and friends
1: please write to us or check out our website blog and conversations at t and friends.com we would love to hear your thoughts on topics and guest ideas for future shows we are listening to life